Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I am your host, Keith Bergun. Today is going to be one of those generally updating things uh, kinds of podcast episodes. It might be shorter um, than usual. Um, I will have a preview of, if you haven't noticed, I've started a new video series over the last couple of months. And um, the third episode of that's going to be going up soon, uh, but I'm going to give you a preview of that uh, here on the podcast. So podcast listeners will get that first, uh, but it's just the audio. There will also be video, obviously, because it's a video. Um, and it's about asymmetrical games, and we that's something I've talked about several times. Over the years, uh, both in my books and in several articles, which have gotten a lot of attention. And uh, so that should be fun and interesting and hopefully get some good reactions. So um, I also released a little game called Uninstall Academy. And I had the idea. I like posted it on Twitter and people seemed to really like the idea. Uh, so far, I haven't really been able to get anyone to download it, uh, but if you have any interest in a quick little five-minute funny joke uh, sort of app that I made um, where basically you just uninstall stuff, and that's it. That's the whole game. And there's like a funny horse character who talks to you and says things and is teaching you how to uninstall. Um, yeah, so if that is interesting to you, it's free up on itch.io, so definitely check that out. Um and with that out of the way, I am now more free to work on my main big game, which is Gem Wizards Tactics. Now, uh, I've been going back and forth on the title of this game. Uh, this is the one that's uh, it's like Advance Wars, you know, uh, or more like Fantasy General, really. I, for a while, was toying with the idea of naming it Business Demons Tactics or Business Demon Tactics or something having to do with the Business Demons because you do play in the single player campaign as the business demons and they are um, these like really like polluting, noisy, messy, uh, you know, like hyper capitalist um, demons, uh, the business demons. And um, so I thought that would be a really good like thing that might like help the game kind of go viral or something is to be like, oh, this is this is a game that's about um it's a war game, but it's like also like you're just like polluting and fracking everywhere and just like getting oil everywhere and garbage and pushing garbage around and paving everything. Like there's something aesthetically that's really funny about that and really pleasing. And I, I just it seems really good to me. So I was thinking about using that as the title. And for probably a solid two weeks, me and everyone in my discord was just brainstorming different ideas that have to do with demons and have to do with, uh, you know, business stuff and we just could not make any progress. I mean, we found a few names that were okay, but nothing was it, you know? And everyone kind of kept going back to, and just calling it Gem Wizards Tactics. Um, and I, the, the main thing I don't like about that is anything Wizards Tactics is, like, kind of hard to say. But at the same time, like, how hard or easy a game title is to say isn't maybe terribly important because a lot of the time it's just going to be in print or be seen as a logo. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's the best name, but I also just, I kind of felt like at a certain point, you just got to pick something and go with it. You know, and and for, for some reason, for me, names of projects is 
it feels important. Like it feels like once it, if it doesn't have a name, it sort of feels like it's sort of floating in the ether. Whereas once it has a name, it's like, okay, everyone can talk about it. We can, you know, discuss it. We can, and things like I can make a logo and it becomes real in a sense. And I think that those kinds of things that might sound irrational and strange, but I I really think that given that in indie development, the number one resource is motivation. Uh, those kinds of things are actually really important. Um, having those kinds of little cues that you give yourself, which let you know that this is going to be a real thing, and um, let your fans and people know that this is a real thing. So anyway, with Uninstall Academy out of the way, um, and a few other projects, Dragon Bridge is wrapping up. I'm I'm really just in the printing stages now. I've um, I, I have a few more things to do for that, but it's basically done. We're doing a tournament right now, which is going well, although Captain is likely to win again. He's the best Dragon Bridge player. Um, Dragon Bridge, I'm, I'm so proud of. I, I haven't felt really this proud of a game that I've made um, maybe ever, but certainly since Oro. And um, so uh, I'm really excited. There is a store for it online right now. If you, uh, if you just go to the Kickstarter page, you can actually buy it from the uh, Dragon Bridge Kickstarter if you want a copy. So anyway, that's mostly off my plate. Uninstall Academy, I just had to make it. It was it seemed like a great idea. Um, and so I got that off my plate also. And so now, yeah, I've, I have a lot of time just to focus on Gem Wizards tactics. Um, Um, I'm, I'm, I've been working on, you know, this new video series, um, but that and this podcast are probably going to like slow down a little bit. Well, they have actually been slowing down for the last month or so. Um, and so that will probably take a little bit more of a backseat. I'll still try to do at least one podcast per month or so, but, um, yeah. And I have some, I have some good interviews that are floating around ready to be done. Um, and so, yeah, so that's the basic overall update about things. I want to talk a little bit about um, about uh, Gem Wizards Tactics before I move into the next section, which is where I'm going to talk about the games I've been playing and some ideas and thoughts about games that I've been playing. Uh, one is, um, you know, on Gem Wizards Tactics, it's really, like, scary making such a big game by yourself. And I don't know why I keep getting myself in this situation. I mean, on the one hand, I do know why. And that's because really small projects like I'm not that motivated to work on them because I, I I really think that a game has to be of a certain scope uh in order to really grab my attention and be interesting to me and so I mean uninstall academy as an example you know a friend of mine was telling me like oh you should uh keep working on that and make it like really polished and and make it into this like spend a few months working on it to make it this thing. And it's like, you know, add like a bunch of, um, external motivators, like uh, Skinner boxy kind of things where like, you're like sort of collecting all the unlocks and stuff. And, you know, I, I can definitely see the value of doing such a thing. I think that, you know, that makes sense, but I wouldn't be able to motivate myself to do that because it's like, you know, it's not the kind of game I want to play. And, um, even if I did do that, it's still a very small scope project. And, I can't imagine getting excited about that. And again, the number one resource in game development, especially indie development, well, particularly indie development, is uh, motivation. Um, Arguably, if you have a budget and you're actually paying people to do work, then another resource that's important is money. But in my world, money is uh, not really um, a factor. 
it's more all about motivation. So I'm very excited to work on Gem Wizard's tactics. And so, but but that's that's also fighting against this huge uphill battle where so I actually have a lot done already. I have um, you know, the gameplay is done. Big asterisk. Now, when I say that, there's all kinds of like bugs to fix and just, you know, UI implementations. I have a new uh, UI that I just implemented, but like so much feedback has to be in there. And just so it's just, even if that was the only thing, I'd probably be working on it for another like six months at least. But then on top of that, or, or, you know, three months at least. Um, But then on top of that, there's also um, uh, all the other factions. There's like polish to the story mode, the tutorial, um, so it's really quite a lot. And, and someday I was thinking, and I, and programmers are going to yell at me for this because I should have planned from this from the, from the beginning, but it would be really cool to make gem wizards tactics, a multiplayer game. Um, if possible, um, I don't, I don't know much about how possible that is in 2020. I know that in the past, like networking and all that stuff has been a nightmare, um, but I'm hoping that someone has started to build some tools to make that kind of stuff easier. Uh, we'll see. Um, so, so yeah, anyway, I'm very excited about this game. This is, I really want this to be like my game, you know, the game that I as a developer live in, but also game that my players can live in and they can play and play and play and play and, you know, give me feedback and we can, you know, add more like, uh, I mean, over we're gonna have to do the factions piecemeal. I don't think I'm gonna be able to just do all seven off the top of my head. I'm gonna, I hope to do by the end of like this year, you know, maybe like five of the factions. I think like that's that's probably pretty doable. Um, that's a good like uh, ambitious goal. But there are seven factions, so it's gonna be you know, it's it's gonna be a lot of work. Um, music. Uh, and then on top of all that, there's all the the marketing stuff. We've talked a little bit about that, learning to hate, not hate marketing. And I really don't hate marketing, but um, it's also just a matter of like time. Like, you know, yeah, I want to do marketing stuff. I want to do, I started a magazine back in the, during the Kickstarter time. And, you know, it's like, does anyone even see this stuff? Uh, you know, a lot of the times there's that like my feeling of work going into the void and you have to like figure out the things that you can do that feel the least like they're going into the void. And I I have to say the podcast is one of the things in my artistic and creative world that I'm very thankful for because uh, I get emails saying, um, well, they're automated emails, not from humans, but I get an email saying like, oh, this episode got like 500 listens and it came out like a few weeks ago. So there are actually human beings listening to that. And like, just that one little piece of data saying like, yes, there are humans listening to this. You'd be surprised how big a deal that is <laughs> because a lot like, you know, in game development and being a creative person generally, it just feels like things are going more and more and more into the void with every new, like I get better and better at making things and I make, I try to make better things and cooler things and funnier things and more viral things. And, they just like new levels of completely ignored seem to get unlocked. So, so it's really hard, uh, to, to under those circumstances to stay motivated. And that's what, that's, what's great about the podcast is, and, and the YouTube series for that matter is that I can see, okay, people are listening to this. People are watching this. I'm getting a few comments, et cetera. And that makes a big difference. But with a big project like this, like, so, so, 
to that end, I hope to get a um, for Gem Wizard Tactics. I hope to get a uh, a Steam version or itch version and or an itch version up, uh, you know, for people to start doing early access for hopefully in the next like month. I, I mean, that should be possible um, a month or two. Um, and that would be great if I can actually start getting some real feedback. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm at, where I'm at with Gem Wizards tactics. Uh, things have been a little bit weird over the last, you know, the holiday and everything. Um, but, uh, but things are now back to normal and, uh, I'm excited to really dive into that. So for the next episode, uh, sorry, <laughs> So for the next section of the podcast, I'd like to talk a little bit about some games I've been playing. One is I've been uh, playing Heroes of the Storm. We have been playing it on the Discord. Uh, some people have been talking about it. For a while, we've had an argument on the Discord about uh, you know League of Legends versus Heroes of the Storm versus Dota. Um, I've been on League of, Team League of Legends, obviously, as you know, for many years. Um, not so much that I would necessarily say as a player it's the best game to play but as someone who follows game design and is interested in game design and is interested in following a game development studio and the changes that they make and that kind of stuff I really think that Riot and what they're doing with League of Legends is the most interesting and uh, cool to follow along with. With that said Heroes of the Storm has a lot of advantages for sure um, I still don't like it as much, but I've been playing it more and, um, you know, I, I can see the argument that from a player perspective, like maybe it's better, especially if you play with people that you're communicating with voice chat on voice chat, supposedly heroes of the storm is particularly bad when you play just solo queue, uh, which is so far all I've done. So, but I, you know, I think it's fine. I, I like that it's short. Um, there's a lot of things I like about it. There's a lot of things I don't like about it. I think I've talked a little bit about some of those in, um, some of my videos and such. But it is nice to play also something just new. I've been playing leagues for about five or six years at this point. And, um... Heroes of the Storm is, you know, it just works differently. Um, so there's there's things about it that are kind of systemically surprising, I guess. I really hate the different maps, um, how there's all these different objectives and everything. That really just makes it feel like a, a not serious party game kind of thing. Um, where, like, you just feel like objectives could be anywhere. And actually, you know, what would be better is if there was, like, really strict rules about random map generation. That, to me, would be, like, the next level of this kind of game is having like, you know, the lanes that are fixed. There's always three lanes, but other than that, there's all this like randomized map generation, which League, by the way, is with the new dragon changes, the elemental dragons, it's really um, changing. It's becoming more and more of like a randomly generated map over time. So I would definitely check that out if you haven't already, uh, the changes that they made over the last few months. Um, that That's really, really cool. And so... Here I go trying to say something good about Heroes of the Storm, and I just end up talking about how League is cool again. Um, but yeah. If I'm still playing Heroes of the Storm in by the next episode, I might give another update and let people know what I'm thinking about that. But 
overall it's uh it's it's i like the that it's elegant in some ways uh it's shorter i like things like tower ammo um and i love my favorite thing which i will mention in uh the, this uh, YouTube series uh, video, which I'm going to post at the end of this podcast, I love that you can pick a random character in Quick Match. That's fantastic. And um, that's something that I wish every game had. And that, yeah, that's that. I very briefly played Hades, which uh, my Discord has also been talking about a lot. Um and and man, the production values are incredible. The art style is really fantastic. The the lore and everything just really really cool. The problem is, I don't remember the last time I enjoyed like fighting a bunch of you know AI bots in real time, like in a game like that. So I mean, you know, I went through the NES era and the the Genesis era and the you know the sixteen bit era, I should say, and um. Th- th- those kinds of games were all over the place at that time, like Smash TV and Contra and, you know, um, one that I, I used to play was a Konami game called Jackal, um, you know, where there's just like things on the screen, they come on and you shoot them and they disappear. And, you know, the, some of these newer games, uh, things like Devil May Cry or God of War, which are sort of more, you know, like a three uh, behind the cameras, behind the ca- avatar camera view sort of thing. Um, those I sort of see as pretty similar. Um, and Hades also is the same sort of thing. It's like, and the dual shoot, dual stick shooters, they all kind of have the same thing going on of just like dodging attacks, timing your attacks, using your abilities, you know, and whether your ability is just like shoot little pew, pew, pew with an NES game or whether your ability is this like sort of complicated, you know, shapely attack or spell or something that takes timing and everything. It's like, ultimately it's the same thing. And I I just wonder like, other than the metagame stuff, which I will get into, you know, it just seems like you're way better off just playing a fighting game. You know, if you're going to play like an, uh, like a real time, you know, combo-y, dodge dodge attack you know that kind of stuff like that's so much more satisfying to do against a human being where you have a little bit of like mind gamesy type stuff and you have um sort of the psychological battles of like pattern recognition and things like that going on um so i don't i don't get it i don't i just i don't get and and this was a problem for me with like something like binding of isaac as well um these like objects coming on the screen and you click on them until they go away gameplay I, I feel, I feel like it's that I've played too many video games in my life or something. Um, especially old core video games, old core. That's a term I used to use in uh, high school and now it just came out. Um, and I'm gonna leave it in, but, um, yeah, Hades. Uh, now the thing that I think is motivating players in Hades or games like that is, is the metagame and it has a ton of metagame. And so I, you know, I'm not denying that that players get some satisfaction out of like pulling off a combo or whatever, but I really think that the major driver is unlocking new stuff and and kind of all the ways that any metagame really motivates players. Um, but that's just my guess because I haven't really played it that deeply. I've just played a little bit. So that's my thoughts. Maybe not super helpful or useful about Hades, but I... I, I'm curious about why other 
game players, especially ones who like would come to my discord because they, they feel some kind of connection with me and my, uh, you know, uh, theory about games and opinions about games and, and why they would under, they, they would enjoy that kind of gameplay and why I wouldn't. So that's something I'm just kind of interested in, in exploring a bit more. Um, but I'm also like very unmotivated to actually play more Hades. Um, you know, something like Diablo is more compelling to me because like, at least I understand the way in which that would be fun, which is, you know, Skinner box, random loot drops. Um, Hades doesn't really have that. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's clearly a extremely well-made game. Um, so that's my thoughts on Hades. I found myself, um, playing a lot of fantasy strike, which is David Serlin's fighting game. And, um, I think that's probably the best like 2d fighter, uh, not counting like smash brothers, of course, but like, you know, street fighter, like I should say, I, I really think that that's a game. It's clearly a game made by someone who played a ton of street fighter, understands the value of street fighter and wants to deliver that as cleanly, as clearly as possible, um, to, to, uh, players. I might even say a little bit to a fault because, at a high level of play, I think Street Fighter becomes something more interesting and, uh, you know, worth showing people. But at low levels of play, I actually think that some of the messiness of a lot of those 2D fighters, Street Fighter being one, but like something like Marvel versus Capcom being maybe an even better example, um, where you have like all this like tag team stuff and all these bars, comp meters and these huge combos and all this stuff. I think that those actually might be um, a little bit better uh, f- in a way for players who are not that serious. And it's true that Fantasy Strike does does in you know allow players to get to the good stuff faster, but it's still a matter of like many many months of serious playing to get to a place where you're really. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're getting the value out of fantasy strike as opposed to just like a street fighter or something or, or Marvel versus Capcom. So, so something like uh, a good example of this, I think is the, um, health bars in fantasy strike have become discrete. So there's like, you have like, um, four or five hits or six hits or seven hits that you can take before your character is defeated rather than having a continuous, uh, bar of health as you do in most fighters. And I think that it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, that, that seems better to just have the discrete chunks. And I like that it's very designy. I like that it's bold. It's different. Um, but at the same time, it's like some of that noise of how much damage moves do and that ambiguity may actually contribute to the aesthetic sort of feeling of like, this is like a fight. Um, also everything else about these fighting games is pretty contiguous continuous it's not a discrete card game or board game so to have these hits is is a little bit like flattening of the experience and and granted i would never recommend for like a serious strategy game a turn-based game or something that you have an ambiguous resource but for real-time games resources just are ambiguous you know movement how far away am i from that other player and you know how far out does my hitbox box stick and eventually you get senses for these things but you eventually get senses for how much damage is as well so my point is that i don't i don't know why that's like that so much other than it's sort of 
it's it's almost like the aesthetics of good design to have things be more discreet when possible. Um, and, you know, because then it's like you have to make these weird choices about um, that are almost like board gamey like choices. So, for example, Arg is one of the characters and he has a fireball, which is like a little fish. And they wanted the fish to do like less damage, basically. So it like stuns you for a second, but it does zero damage because it doesn't have like 0.5 damage. And to me, that's like, a you know, it's like a board gamey kind of thing. Everything's like binary. Everything's these big integers. Um, and so so I think that that's one of the things I like about the game that I like about the game is that it does have this aesthetic of game designerliness. But I think that for most players, that has almost no value. And I think a lot of players are just like, it just becomes less compelling in that it's slightly less, um, I don't know, it's just slightly less goopy and drippy as like a, as like a, as like a fight, like a street brawl, like a realistic battle between two people who are scraping and fighting and damaging and all that sort of stuff. I think it becomes a little, it feels more like, you know, you're doing like a fencing tournament or something where you have like three hits or first of three hits, that, that kind of thing. So yeah, anyway, I do really enjoy Fantasy Strike. I definitely recommend it. Um, I think I've talked about it a little bit before. Um, but yeah, check it out and check out everything David Serlin does. I mean, uh, Puzzle Strike, I still can't sing the praises of enough. It's one of my favorite games ever um, of any kind. Um, Yomi I was playing the other day and I, I really enjoy it. I really missed it. I mean, there's certain things I really do not enjoy about it. I mean, and fundamentally it's a rock, paper, scissors, very random guessing game. So I have a lot of problems with it, but there's some things I really like about it coming from other tabletop games too. Like it's, it's very easy to explain to people. It's very easy to set up. Um, and, and playing it, there's not a lot of like calculation really that you do. I mean, there are some players do. Um, but for most players, the vast majority of people who would play Yomi, they're not really doing calculation. They're just like sort of, they're just like sort of feeling stuff out. And I really think that's, that's a, that's a good way for, for games to be so many tabletop games, ones that I like a lot. Um, I have Caverna and I really enjoy it, but it is a big calculation fest. Um, even worse is like Res Arcana, the new one from Tom Lehman, um, where it's, yeah, it's just there's no uh, info horizon, there's no input randomness, and so you're just you're just calculating everything the whole time, and that's very uh, oppressive feeling. And and so yeah. Anyway, check out check out all of David Serlin's games. Great game designer. I've also written about Codex, which is another really ambitious and interesting game. Finally, I've been playing a lot of actually Smash Brothers 64, um, which to me is like by far the best of the Smash Brothers games. And you may not hear people say that a lot because, well, number one, a lot of people just didn't play it. Uh, the Melee took off. Brawl was huge. Uh, the vast majority of players who you're going to talk to who play Smash Brothers, I've noticed, had just never have even played 64. Um and then a lot of them who did play 64, they, you know, they went on, they played Melee, and then they played all the successive games, if they're still playing it now. And um, they they may be playing at this point at a very high level and uh, playing the new ones at a high level. And I do think that Smash 64 
is one of the worst for very, very high level play. Like there's all these infinite throw loops and there's all these like weird edge casey things. It's a, it's a very exploitable game with a lot of like balance problems. And so it's, it doesn't hold up great to competitive play. With that said, I've been playing that game for really thousands of hours. It's one of my most played games ever. Um, and I, I'm pretty darn awesome at it. Um, and yet there are cool things that happen all the time. It's surprising all the time. I have a few other people that I play with that are also very good. And it's the th- the reason that I think it's the best one of them all. One, there's no air dodges. Um, two, everything has a little bit more, um, inertia to it and is a little bit more wild physics. Um, the worst examples are like from brawl to the new one. Uh, when you hit a character, it's almost like you hit them and then a pre canned trajectory launch sequence happens where they like, they, they have a rocket booster under under them because you hit them. Whereas in the first game, it just feels like there's these like little baseball characters that are bouncing around and you're hitting each other with baseball bats and not, not, to overstate what I'm saying here, but like to some extent, that's that's really kind of more true with 64. It's a lot more raw, physicsy, surprising, unfair. Sometimes you know you can sometimes just like kill somebody at like 20% damage. The new ones are just like overly fair. Every like you magnetize to the to the edge if you're gonna grab the ledge. Um, also, I think the new ones really like. Uh, don't take as much advantage of the damage percentage system in the first game you could kill somebody at a various at, at you know 60% damage 80% damage if you hit them when you're far enough to the side of the level or if you you know spike them there are still spikes in this game but uh, everything was a lot more um loose in the new ones it feels a lot more like as long as you don't get knocked all the way out from your uh you know, from when you get hit, you're gonna make it back. And then if you're gonna make it back, like you're basically gonna reach the ledge. It's pretty hard for players to uh, stop you. Now, there may be some high level players who tell me otherwise, but um, I feel pretty confident that that when you add things like dodging in place um, and things like, uh, you know, dodging in uh, midair, and I'm glad the new one, they got rid of the thing where you could dodge in any direction at any point in your jump. Uh, I've talked before and I've written before about how uh, you got to respect the jump, you know, and by that I just mean if you create a jump arc, you shouldn't be able to like massively, massively change the direction and trajectory of that arc. And you certainly shouldn't be able to do it while becoming invincible in any direction and like completely reverse the the direction of your jump, which is what air dodges used to do in, in melee in particular. Um, that's really bad for the game. I, I wish that Smash, if you, if, if you do know about Smash 64 and then you know about Melee, and by the way, Melee started getting a lot faster. I think all the games are faster than 64. I would go the opposite direction. I would make it more physicsy, more wild, slower. Everything's more of a commitment. Um, you know, like the, the shield stun and everything in, in 64 is like really long. If you miss with most abilities, assuming, you know, Z cancel, um, you, uh, there's a quite a long cooldown on things that you miss. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a very like unforgiving, harsh game compared to the, the games that came after it. 
And I would, I, if I were to make a fighting game, which I want to someday, I'd love to make a game that's even, it's like Smash Brothers negative one, you know, going in the opposite direction from Smash Brothers. And I, I, I say that to, you know, people because like, I, I hope somebody just makes that. I don't, I don't really see anybody talking about making a slow fighting game, like a slow, heavy, methodical fighting game. I mean, if I wanted to get more crazy, I have another idea that's even more removed from Smash Brothers. That's, you know, so one of the issues with all fighting games is that there's no, there's no information horizon. If I'm standing next to you and you're standing next to me and we both like try to hit each other, somebody's just going to kind of hit someone else. There's no time to respond to whatever it is the other player does. Like at the moment their stuff comes out on screen, the information hits your eyeball, you're already getting hit by it. So that's, it's kind of like output randomness when you're next to the opponent in a fighting game. So I recommend, you know, I like what, um, arms did. I didn't actually play arms, but I saw that like they have these long arm projectiles. I think that seems really smart. Another way to do it is that you only fight via projectiles. Um, or another way to do it is something like Barabari ball by Richard Terrell, who's been on this podcast. Um, that's another way to do it is that you can have an object. It's not about, I mean, Barabari ball, you can hit each other, but you could have a game where it's just like, there's a ball in between and you don't hit each other. Um, or it's all about hitting the ball. And so that is another way to, uh, make there be an information horizon. And that's something that I would also recommend people, um, play with when they make new fighting games. So that's about all I had for today. Um, I, I'm going to leave you now with the next episode of my YouTube series, um, which is about asymmetry in games. If you intend to watch the YouTube video, which is over on my YouTube channel, I will link it in the show notes. Uh, if you intend to watch that, you can just turn off the podcast now um, and go watch that on YouTube. Otherwise, if you are interested in hearing it and you're not a big YouTube person, uh, it's here on the podcast for you to listen to. So thank you so much for listening. And uh, as always, you can support this pa- this podcast on patreon.com slash Keith Bergun. Uh, sorry if my voice sounds a little weird. It's a little bit late at night right now while I'm recording this. and I'm, But I'm, I assure you I'm fully lucid. I'm just a little bit physically tired. Um, so yes, thank you for listening. And uh, without any further ado... Here is the next episode of my YouTube series, Game Design, Theory, and Practice. Today I want to talk about asymmetrical forces in game design. Specifically, things like races, factions, or characters that you can choose before a game starts. I think we take a lot of things for granted with this kind of asymmetry in games. First, let's talk about why this kind of asymmetry is something you might want to use in your designs. I think there's a few reasons, but fundamentally, it's really all about giving players more kinds of tools with which to explore this system without turning your game into an unwieldy, intimidating mess. This sort of asymmetry allows you to add more inherent complexity to your game, that is, more actual rules, while allowing the amount of information a player has to learn in order to dive in to remain manageable. If I want to play Street Fighter Third Strike, I don't necessarily have to learn all of the characters before I can start learning to play. I can just learn one character. Sure, you'll also have to learn the rules to any characters you face off against, and there are huge questions as to how much this helps a game like League of Legends, which at this point has over 160 characters, of whom you'll face five different ones each match. But for many kinds of strategy games, the onboarding process is a big part of the advantage of this kind of asymmetry. 
I have a few pieces of advice for designing asymmetric characters or factions in games. First, let's talk about the strategic triangle. The typical explanation of the strategic triangle is something like rushdown, defense, or economy. These each counter each other, so if one player goes for a rushdown strategy and the other player goes for economy, the rushdown player is likely to benefit from that interaction, and so on. A few quick notes about this. These are not specific strategies, these are more like meta strategies or categories of strategies. Also, it's usually very rare that anyone actually deploys a full rush or a full econ strategy. In most healthy strategy games, players are using some mix of all three, sort of dancing around the triangle trying to counter one another. Finally, for some games, words besides rushdown and defense might make more sense to describe those meta strategies, and there aren't always necessarily three points of the triangle either. The important point here is that there can be different expressions of power or advantage for an asymmetrical character or faction, and that in this way, these can counter each other. So what you want to avoid to the extent that it's possible is the situation where two players have chosen two characters and one of them has an advantage over the other because they sort of counter them. A crucial piece of advice to help with this, I think, is to make sure that each character is good at at least two parts of the triangle. If a character is only good at rushdown, then a character who is good at defense to some extent is a counter to that character. But if your character can always lean on one of the other points of the triangle, then regardless of what the other player is doing, they can always make sure to at least not be at a disadvantage. How much or how little asymmetry, as in how special or different each character is from each other, is going to vary a lot based on the system that you have. But as a general rule, something to keep in mind is that characters should be different tools with which to explore the existing system. They should not be so distinct to the point where they almost feel like you're just playing your own little mini-game that has a tenuous relationship to the overall system. This also points to a larger problem with designing asymmetric powers. Some powers are inherently unbalanceable, or even if you could balance them, they affect the game in negative ways. For example, it may be possible to balance a theoretical StarCraft faction that has the full vision of the map at all times just by tweaking their other numbers, such as health and attack damage and so on. But as we talked about in the last episode, this violation of Information Horizon is really just not healthy for the game. Not all additions to a game are positive, and just because you can doesn't mean you should. This also points to a question of how many asymmetric factions a game should have. Currently the norms on this are rather ridiculous. With games like League of Legends having over 165 champions and things like collectible card games, one would be forgiven for thinking that the more the merrier. But there are diminishing returns for every new character that you add, as more and more of the space has already been explored and characters start to re-explore already explored territory. Meanwhile, entering into a game that has thousands of abilities can be extremely oppressive. Remember that players can't really play your game until they have at least a rough sense of what other characters can do. In League of Legends, if I kill Scion, but then I die because I didn't know about Scion's passive, well, then this whole match is not really going to be a great reflection of my performance here. My staying alive at that moment may have been a truly important moment for the game. And so players are kind of stuck here in this stage for months. I think it's important that we remember that the incentives of a free-to-play game or a collectible card game designer are largely built around selling a constant treadmill of content. If you're not making a game like that, then don't let that way of thinking infect your decision making. 
Earlier, I said that there were a number of reasons to add asymmetry to your game. Well, here's a weirder reason to do it. Asymmetry, I think, does another interesting thing. While the player is playing an asymmetric game, they're playing it with a single specific character or faction, etc. And somewhere in the back of their mind, they have the knowledge that there are all these other characters that they could be playing with instead. This can have the effect of opening the player's imagination about what's possible in this game, or more cynically, tricking players into thinking the game is a bit more interesting than it really is. Because even if the game is a little bit dull or boring, it can somewhat be blamed on the current character that the person is playing. A narrative can always be created that the other characters can all do this weird other cool stuff and there's so much to explore and try out with them, even if the game with this particular character isn't anything special. There are always these other potential states that the game could be in. A bit of a quick side note, when it comes to the asymmetry in strategy games that have so-called races, as in the game StarCraft, I much prefer to use the term faction where possible, or species if that's what you're really talking about. There's a history of science fiction stories using alien or fantasy species to tell a story about a kind of essentialism that makes the use of the term race a little bit weird, especially if, as is the case in most such games, just about every single character that you meet has those essential prop personality traits as their faction is stereotypically known to have. One last thing I would like more designers to think about is designing their game around having a gameplay option that forces random selection for characters or factions. If you think about it, it's actually a little bit strange that someone could be allowed to play thousands of matches of your game, reaching a very high tier of play, using only one character out of dozens. It's good to allow players to mod and tweak values to suit their play, but when it comes to something like a competitive mode or ranked mode, it would be strange to let the player choose only one faction that they would ever face up against, or only one map that they'd ever be forced to play on. It seems like a good thing to require the player, in at least one mode, to play all of the game, not just some of it. And I also think that having this mode around encourages the designer to make sure that all the factions are equally interesting and viable. If this sounds crazy, consider that some designer board games, such as Race for the Galaxy, already do a very lightweight version of this, as well as my own Oro, which gives you random spells each time you play. I'm excited to do this in some of my upcoming games as well. Thank you for watching.